Welcome to Brazilian Politics, a podcast where three political analysts discuss all things Brazilian politics. This week, we will discuss the pro-Bolsonaro demonstrations and their aftermath. This podcast is brought to you by Arco Advice, Brazil's leading political risk and public affairs company. With over three decades of experience in Brasilia and offices in the U.S., Arco can help your company navigate the complex political landscape in Brazil. Visit arcobrazil.com. Welcome to Brazilian Politics. I'm Michael Lopez, and I'm joined by my colleagues Lucas and Thiago Aragão. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining us. Great pleasure, Michael. Hello, everyone. All right. So the main issue we're going to discuss in this podcast are the pro-Bolsonaro demonstrations that took place across the country this past Sunday. Before we get into the complex aftermath of these demonstrations and the ramifications and effects on the relationship between the three branches of power, I want to get into the lead up to the demonstrations. Uh, it's important to note that these demonstrations were, in a sense, also a response to the protests against the spending freeze for education, which led thousands of Brazilian people to the streets on May 15th. Um, so my question to you is, could you contextualize the lead up to the demonstrations for our listeners? Bolsonaro seemed like he was on board to take part in them, then said that he wouldn't participate. Uh, he was critical of some parts of the agenda, like criticism of the STF and, and criticism of Congress. Um, and there was definitely some trepidation and disagreements inside of Bolsonaro's own party about whether these protests were even a good idea to begin with. So in hindsight, how organic and how strategic were these demonstrations? Michael, these protests, uh, they started to gain a little bit of force uh, after the protests in the freezing of the education budget, some part of it. Uh, and obviously because of the difficult, tense relationship that Bolsonaro has been having in Congress uh, with the fluidity of, of some of his bills, of some of his agenda in, in the parliament. Uh, also, uh, due to the fact that his popularity uh, has been losing some ground in past months. So it was a way of having uh, a, a protest, a demonstration in favor of, of Bolsonaro as a personality, but also of, of his agenda. Uh, I think they were quite organic, given that we had uh, almost no institutional participation in these uh, protests. When I say institutional, by uh, groups of, of organized demonstrators, as we've seen in the past, for instance, the education protests had a heavy participation of unions, of uh, student associations, uh, while protests in the past, specifically those in favor of the impeachment of President Dilma, Uh, were uh, organized by groups of civil society like MBL, Movimento Brasil Livre, and also VPR, Vem Pras Ruas, which has a lot of capacity to, to, to uh, put together people, especially online, to participate in these protests. This specific protest had none of these participations, including MBL uh, was against the protest and suggested its, its members not to participate Uh, on in, in them. So I think they were quite organic. They were organized mainly uh, in social media by uh, some of uh, Bolsonaro's main supporters in social media that have quite a big number of followers. And this was organized for a couple of weeks. So everybody knew about it, gave time for people to go to the streets. And although not massive, they were obviously uh, uh, 
quite respectful in size, but mostly, and we will talk about this later, uh, what they were uh, pleading and what they were not pleading, which was also an issue of, of worrying by some members of the government. Hello, my friends. Um, well, I share, I share lots of views from, from Lucas. I also believe that this, these protests, they definitely they were triggered by the, the massive protest that happened before, which was aimed at the budget cuts for education. Uh, and I understand the view of some other members of the government who were skeptical about moving forward with these protests, uh, or at least having the government endorsing these protests, because you basically you create a a competition, you create a challenge that naturally the individuals that organized the protest related to the budget cuts, they are now going to prepare themselves to do something probably bigger. Uh, however, we cannot deny that some of the fears that existed that this uh, protest could be a flop and could be more prejudicial than beneficial for President Bolsonaro, I don't think that this happened. At the end of the day, if it wasn't something that gave a lot of advantage to President Bolsonaro, it didn't harm him at all. And my view is that it was a positive protest for him. It was a way for him to statically show part of the support that he, he has in the country. And I think that he was smart in commenting after the, the protests that uh, some of the, the requests, some of the minor focus of the requests that were criticizing heavily, not only the parliament, uh, but the Supreme Court as well, not only their actions, but their existence. I think that Bolsonaro was smart in, in criticizing those groups and reinforcing the independence of these institutions and the, the power of these institutions. However, I see that we can enter a, a worrying trend uh, in the beginning of the administration. We only have six months of this new administration that from now on, we can have this sort of competition from the both sides, which is measured by size, that um, and it could last for, for a long time. We still have a long time ahead of us of the, of the presidency. And I think it's too soon for us perhaps to, to engage in this sort of battle between supporters and those who aren't. But at the end of the day, it was very positive, the fact that um, pension reform was the main issue, was the main request of the members of the, of the majority of the members of the protests. And I think that this is something unique uh, in the Brazilian recent history of individuals going to the streets to, to ask and demand a pension reform. So the final outcome, I think it was positive. Uh, thank you, Thiago. Uh, uh, I agree uh, about the, the interesting aspect of uh, people clamoring for pension reform, especially since pension reform is generally maybe the most unpopular type of uh, proposal. And my next question goes along those lines. Um, I did want to say, though, uh, uh, from from Lucas's points, I, I agree with the organic nature uh, of these protests, and I also agree that in the education uh, protest, there was the participation of unions and student movements. 
However, I, I would like to point out that uh, even though there was the participation of Kuchi and, and Uni, um, the education uh, protests also seemed to have a more organic nature to them when compared to the previous uh, leftist organized uh, protests, uh, like the pro-Lula protests. I think the education spending freeze was something that uh, really affected students uh, and not only the militant and uh, uh, unionized teachers. I think there was also an organic element to it. For but- sure, for sure, Mike. And just to add, I think that uh, also education is a, an issue that is much easier for different types of groups to rally around than, for instance, something so specific as Lula uh, and, and his arrest, you know, that is completely painted in the colors of the Workers' Party. While education, you can have a range of people defending without being worried of being called a petista or something uh, along those lines. And also, the way that the Bolsonaro government communicates sometimes in a, in a way that is not uh, very elegant uh, in, in some rude tones sometimes uh, gives the fuel and the spark for, for these protests to happen. Uh, I agree uh, 100%. And I think it's important to, to call attention to the fact that the these demonstrations, the pro-Bolsonaro demonstrations, they had a, a wide variety of topics that people were either protesting or demonstrating for. Um, you know, Rodrigo Maia, the president of the lower house, without a doubt, was a big target. Uh, the so-called Centrão was also a big target. The federal Supreme Court w- uh, was a target of, of these protests. And like uh, Lucas mentioned previously, the MBL and Vem Pras Ruas, they were also targeted and uh, labeled by some of the more radical demonstrators as uh, traitors because they decided not to support uh, these these demonstrations, but I, I think it's more of a strategic angle. But what I think is most remarkable, and this is something that Thiago touched on earlier, is that Brazilians took to the streets calling for pension reform, which is the most unpopular proposal basically in any country to get approved. And even Rodrigo Maia, uh, there are reports that Rodrigo Maia commented on this to to parliamentarian colleagues, specifically about the focus of the reforms in Sao Paulo. I think different cities um, had different uh, uh, points of focus. And and the Sao Paulo protests, they really seemed like they were targeting uh, pension reform the best. What is this coming from? What is causing this? And, and what can we make of this fact? Michael, I think that the, the narrative in favor of the pension reform, which has begun um, years ago, not necessarily now, uh, really stuck to the mindset of several people. Um, and, and people understood, a, a large portion of society understood, uh, especially when they look into other countries and they see what happened when there is a heavy fiscal problem and you can see some dramatic images of what happened in Argentina, of what happened in Greece at the night news. I think the the issue of the pension reform really stuck to the mind of several people and the general education about the topic was very positive. Um, I think that it's a bit risky for members of the allied base to endorse certain aspects of the protests that demonize other members of the parliament, such as Rodrigo Maia. It is very important for us to to be aware that, first, 
for a pension reform to move forward, it relies much more on the individuals that were being criticized than anyone else. And second, there is life after pension reform. And antagonizing with these players that are going to stay in their positions in the parliament throughout the rest of the administration, throughout the rest of the government, can lead to more difficulties once the pension reform is approved, something that I believe it will happen. However, um, the antagonism between the allied base and what is called the centrão, the, the, cent the, the parties that are more central in the spectrum uh, of the ideological base, uh, this relation can get sour as we are advancing towards the approval of the pension reform and make the future topics slightly more complicated for the government to deal with. Uh, thank you, Chago. I think those are exactly some of the points that the MPL and, and uh, even some members of the PSL, like Joyce Hasselman, uh, were, were had in mind when they uh, voiced their opposition to the demonstrations at, at a strategic level. I think that was very well pointed out. Um, but I also think that it's, it's very important for us to discuss the, the so-called day after. So this Monday... Bolsonaro seems to have changed his tune uh, in, in a couple of important ways. Um, first, uh, he apologized, uh, which is, uh, you know, something of a rare occurrence. He apologized for exaggerating when he said that the students that protested on May 15th were, quote unquote, useful idiots for protesting the measures announced by the government related to education. Um, he said that he corrected himself and said that they were merely, quote unquote, useful innocents in, 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 in a kind of free translation here. Um, but he also said that he will seek out Rodrigo Maia and Gias Toffoli and leaders of the other branches of power in Brazil to call for a pact that can ensure progress for Brazil. It, it was put in kind of a very broad way, a pact for Brazil. Um, and he reportedly had breakfast with Maya, Toffoli, Alcolumbre, Paulo Guedes uh, participated on, on Tuesday morning. Um, so, so my question is, how do we reconcile these statements of calling for a pact for Brazil with the previous attacks on old politics? And, and these are even attacks that he... Uh, repeated after these demonstrations. How do we reconcile these uh, with his also apparent refusal to condemn the attacks on the Central, on the Supreme Court, and on Rodrigo Maia? And what are the practical consequences of Bolsonaro's latest attempt to reach out? Michael, I think Bolsonaro is in a very paradoxical situation because he understands the need of Congress. Obviously, he has been a parliamentarian for 30 years. He knows that without the Centrão, the Centrão is the, the, the key to the approval of almost all measures. There is no votes when you look only to his party and to the parties that will vote to his agenda because of an, an ideological way, such as Novo and a part of the PSTB, which seems to be more aligned, especially if the governor of Sao Paulo, João Doria, becomes the, the formal leader of the party in the, in the future. Uh, but it's a, a difficult, uh, it's a blurred line where he has to, to navigate now because it's clear for his supporters that he needs to create or continue this narrative against part of the Centrão. I think that the future, the way for the future is that the Centrão has uh, understood that the traditional horse trading of the government in past governments 
uh, will, is, is, is under threat right now. Of course, that the government will open positions and, and support some agendas of the Centrão with budget allocations, but this has to be done in a more technical way, meaning that the free give it away uh, to the Centrão of the past is long gone. And I think the Centrão uh, is slowly understanding uh, that uh, it's useless to to try to negotiate this way with the government. What I think will happen is that some of the agendas of the government, specifically those that has the the super support, the extreme support of Rodrigo Maia, uh, and it has become mature enough for the country to discuss as the pension reform, will advance. Others, for instance, we are debating in Congress now the provisional measure of uh, uh, water treatment, sewage system, the MP do saneamento. We have news just minutes ago that there is no deal between party leaders to vote. And this is something that the economic team treats it very seriously. So I think this is the future, you know, the, uh, uh, an agenda which will be led mainly by Rodrigo Maia and the Centrão, which uh, hopefully will be more fiscally responsible. It all points out that it will be. Uh, and the government having difficulties to advance on its agendas that it's not well matured enough, or at least not glamorous enough for society to, to wrap their support or to rally their support over it. I do think that the government will have success in the pension reform, but on the other uh, items of its agenda, as I mentioned, the provisional measure on water sewage, a provisional measure that does uh, audit in the, in the pension system, these, is, th these agendas, they aren't as glamorous for civil society to ra rally around. Therefore, it depends on the goodwill of the, of the Centrão, which will fluctuate depending on the temperature of that given week and how the negotiations are in that given week, which sometimes are better, sometimes are worse. So it will all depend much more of the capacity of negotiation of Rodrigo Maia and the goodwill of the Centrão rather than uh, a strategic long-term approach by, by President Bolsonaro with the Congress. And on top of that, uh, I think that the, by, when Bolsonaro recalibrated his words towards the protests, uh, in, in, towards the protesters of the educational-themed uh, protests that occurred a few weeks ago, I think this was one of the most presidential gestures um, that, that the president had since he took office. And I think that this is also a, a, a symbol that Bolsonaro is trying to detach himself from some of the most aggressive supporters uh, that we saw on the uh, isolated in parts of the, 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 the movements that we saw in Brazil over this weekend uh, by sounding and acting more diplomatic. So perhaps uh, Bolsonaro will incorporate a, an attitude of more good cop, bad cop, being himself the good cop in his approach, not only to Maya, the Speaker of the House, but towards the those members of the congressmen, which are not intrinsically members of the allied base. And this could lead him to uh, enhance the pressure and to strengthen governability if he's able to sustain a more diplomatic narrative towards these areas of the, of the Brazilian state in comparison to 
the more strong narratives that we identify in some of his party members. Thank you, Thiago. And I, and I think this, uh, I guess, kind of bipolar attitude from President Bolsonaro is most relevant when it comes to the relationship between the executive branch and the legislative branch. And there is an important provisional measure on the voting agenda this week, uh, provisional measure 870, which reorganizes the cabinet ministries and the executive. This is the provisional measure that the Bolsonaro government used to do things like reduce the number of cabinet ministries and, and generally reorganize. And we've witnessed a clash between Congress and the executive over the COAFI Council, which is a council that investigates uh, irregular financial activities. Bolsonaro took this uh, council and moved it from the Ministry of the Economy to the Ministry of Justice under Sergio Moro. And Congress, or at least uh, so far the lower house, voted to move it back to the Ministry of the Economy. Um, the, the measure is on the voting agenda and, and it's important to note that it is scheduled to expire, um, Monday of next week. So what is the status of this measure in light of the protests, which, um, I think one of the emblematic pictures of the protests was a, a giant inflatable doll of our Minister of Justice, Sanju Moru, dressed as Superman. Um, uh, related to his nickname as Super Moru. Um, how does this affect uh, this measure and how does it affect uh, legislative measures that are currently backed by Sergio Moro, like the anti-crime package as well? Michael, I think the image of Moro as Super Moro, uh, as there were several in the protests, it's just one symbolic image that I don't uh, believe uh, is the what we should be focusing on the general message of the, the the protest. The protests they were much more focused on the pension reform than, for instance, on attacks to Congress or on attacks to the Supreme Court or or, or things like that, or even the super super moro statue that could have been brought by anyone. I think when we look at the big picture, it was a very uh, agenda uh, made protest. That said, what I think it's going to happen is that although. Parts of the PSL, the, the president's party, and uh, led by one of its main senators in, in, in Senate, they're trying to bring back Coafi to the hands of Sergio Moro, which the House of Representatives uh, changed to Gadges. I don't think that will happen. Bolsonaro has already spoken to its members of the PSL and Senate requesting that it stays with Gadges. Why? Because if something has changed in the Senate, the provisional measure would have to go back to the House of Representatives with a real, real threat of losing its validity and creating a managerial chaos with the uh, public administration, which from one day to the other would have to recreate ministries, dissolve the Ministry of Economy and create, for instance, the Ministry of Labor again, the Ministry of Trade again, uh, the Ministry of Social Security again. And it would be obviously something that the government doesn't need at this moment, especially a government that doesn't have much experience in the in the day-to-day -day of the public machine of the government. So I think that the Bolsonaro will be successful. I don't think that this is uh, that much of a defeat to, 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 to Moro. I think that he and his agenda can advance uh, despite this. Uh, we, we have to remember, obviously, 
that the car wash operation and many of the crimes that were discovered and investigated by COAFI happened when COAFI was in the Ministry of the Economy in the past, as it has always been. Um, so I don't think that this is an impediment for the COAFI to do its work, as it has been doing in the past years and, 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 and solving some emblematic uh, issues of the car wash operation. So I think business as usual, I don't think that this necessarily diminishes uh, Sergio Moro's stature. Uh, I think that he continues to be one of the ministers that has the biggest public support. But in Congress, this is always a difficult agenda because you're proposing tougher measures on people that could uh, 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 be hurt by these tougher measures. So I think it was a tough agenda before. It's a tough agenda now. And it will depend a lot on the capacity of negotiation of the government and also of public pressure because these issues regarding corruption, they tend to advance much quicker when you have public pressure. And Bolsonaro has proven after this protest that he is able to create some momentum for measures as he did for the pension reform and he could do in the future again with the anti-crime package of Sergio Moro. Thank you, Lucas. For our last segment, I want to move from one super minister to another super minister. Uh, we talked about uh, super Moro. Um, I want to move the discussion for our last segment to Paulo Guedes. Um, and I want to quickly discuss the economic situation. You know, the Brazilian economy uh, perhaps isn't bouncing back as swiftly as expected. Um, this week, for the 13th consecutive week, GDP growth projections have been downgraded. Um, we also saw a poll that was released, uh, conducted by XP uh, Investments, where 43% of investors say that they uh, reject the Planalto, which is up from 28% in April. Um, concerned about this scenario, the president of the lower house, Rodrigo Maia, defended the creation of a, of a short-term economic agenda to generate jobs. But, but my question is, could this economic scenario affect Paulo Guedes' political efficacy, um, not only in regards to pension reform, but could it also affect his performance overall? Michael, I think that the, the, this economic performance was not expected by, by Guedes and his team no, around November last year. I think around November last year, perhaps the expectations were too high People were treating that a, just the fact that the government was changing was enough to boost confidence and credibility worldwide, attracting flows of investment, especially looking at the conditions of the world and that the emerging markets, they do not offer today some viable alternatives for these funds and investors to put their money. However, the, the story is not precisely like that. Politics really affects the performance of the economy. And in politics, perhaps Bolsonaro is learning this the toughest way, and as well as other members of his government, is that if you are not uh, a powerhouse like the United States, anything that is said without uh, more rationality than emotion will have a negative impact towards investors. And I think that we have too, many, too much attention, which is fair, uh, and too much expectation on the results of the, of the pension reform. And perhaps some of the, the, I wouldn't label as a mistake, but perhaps one of the things that could have been reviewed was by launching a number uh, around 1.2 trillion reais too early in the debate of the pension reform. 
which created an entire narrative that is unnecessary of what represents a failure and what represents a success in terms of its approval. Some individuals uh, in New York, in Sao Paulo, in London, they talked about uh, $800 billion being a good number. Others talked that $1 trillion um, is the number since the promised number was $1.3, that $600 billion would represent uh, a failure, and that this could put Gadget's position in jeopardy, not by Bolsonaro, but by Gadget himself. So I think that we created as a country a narrative that entangled us in certain difficulties that now depends exclusively on the government to disentangle. And what the government must do is, uh, of course, to focus uh, almost completely in the approval of a very good pension reform by being better aligned with the, with the parliament, but also not forgetting about other very important topics that are uh, gateways to future investments in Brazil, such as the PLC 79, such as the privatization agenda, and other things that cannot be forgotten, at least in terms of messages to be delivered in a periodical base, in detriment for the narrative of the pension reform. I think that this government uh, has very good names, particularly in the Ministry of Economy, to be able to juggle more than one ball at the same time and to move forward with at least part of the very promising agenda that was delivered to the market around November, December last year. Thank you, Thiago. That'll do it for this episode of Brazilian Politics. I want to thank both Thiago and Lucas for taking part in this week's episode and especially thank our listeners for tuning in. Please tune in next week for more on Brazilian politics. Thank you.